I, I I've never sold tickets third party on like any platform. Have you? I think that that seems to me like the the one thing that I haven't done. Yeah, so I, I I flipped like a, a handful of tickets. Not like not that I'm like a scalper, like you know, going like onto like the <laughs> like the, the tickets and, and selling right away. But if I knew like something was going to be super popular um, in college, I would definitely buy t- buy like extra tickets. Welcome to Product Explain, a show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey, Jeff, how does paying 50% in fees of every concert ticket make any sense? Dude, someone has to pay the ushers. Today's show, we're talking about SeatGeek, a mobile ticketing platform for sports, concerts, and theater events. Love it. For those of you not familiar with SeatGeek, uh, as Jeff mentioned, it's an online platform to buy and sell tickets to your favorite sporting events, concerts, events, and many more. Uh, you log into their site as a ticket buyer, and you can search for tickets based on location keywords to find your event or find your sporting event that you're looking for. If you're looking to sell tickets, it's very similar where you can um, type in whatever you're looking for, or sorry, whatever venue that you have a ticket for, and then list your ticket for a price, and they'll help you set that price for you. One of SeatGeek's key differentiators uh, between other ticket platforms is something that they call their proprietary deal score. So this actually gives a rating to the score to, sorry, this deal score gives a numeric value to someone looking for a purchase of tickets. So for example, I just went on SeatGeek.com and looked at the most recent Bills Buffalo Bills game that's coming up against the Miami Dolphins. And I saw some of the first tickets listed to me were uh, 9.7, 9.6. And it takes in a variety of factors to build this deal score. So that includes the ticket's location within the venue. So, hey, is it nosebleeds? Are you going to be sitting up way at the top wherever with all the common folk? Or are you going to be down below at the 50-yard line right in the center? It also takes into account historical seat prices, the popularity of the event, as well as the price of nearby tickets to give you a rating. So it's actually really interesting as a ticket buyer where I, I feel like I know I'm getting a good deal because I see that, hey, it's it's all these different things taken into account that I don't really have to think about. I know that SeatGeek's doing the math for me. If we look at how SeatGeek makes money, so SeatGeek is a two-sided platform. You have those selling tickets and then you have those looking to buy tickets. SeatGeek charges money to the folks that are selling the tickets. So if you want to list your ticket as a, uh, a seller, you'll SeatGeek will charge you a nominal fee, either percentage or a set fee, depending on how much the, the value is. It's estimated that SeatGeek makes anywhere from $61 million to $117 million per year. Uh, SeatGeek is still a private company, so I couldn't find any reliable data, but I thought that was an interesting ballpark to, to start the conversation. So yeah, that's that's SeatGeek. That is SeatGeek in a nutshell. Yeah, I haven't personally ever used SeatGeek, but I've used Ticketmaster a bunch. And I think SubHub uh, to go to different sporting events and things like that. What I hate about using those sites is sometimes just like finding and zooming into stadium seats is such a pain. But I think SeatGeek is the one who originally did their like seat viewer, right? Or whatever it was called. I think so. I don't know if they're the original one, but I know that's a huge like feature that they have as well as where you can actually, you know, if I'm buying, you know, a ticket in section 117 or whatever, or what have you, 
they'll actually show a picture of what that looks like. And that is such an awesome feature because, you know, sometimes at a sporting event, like especially at older stadiums, I don't know if anyone of our listeners has been to Fenway Park in Boston, which is over a hundred year old stadium that the Red Sox play in or Wrigley Field in Chicago, which is another hundred year old stadium. There's literally poles in front of some of the seats (laughs) where you have to like look around and that's a very unfortunate seat to get. I totally agree with you there. I feel like every time I try to buy seats for some sporting event, especially for a stadium I've never been in, I'm like, is this a good seat? And it's so hard to find uh, or figure out, like, can I see everything? What is it going to look like? Uh, so it's great to be able to see the the point of view from that seat and kind of figure out, hey, is it worth paying this amount of money for? Have there been any recent events? I know we're obviously still kind of in the middle of a pandemic, but any recent events that you bought tickets for? That's a good question. No, I think maybe the, not even the movies. Like I haven't even gone to the movies in like a year and a half. I think I, the last venue that I went to or the most recent venue that I went to was just an open, like open seating concert mm-hmm. um, where you could just like, there wasn't dedicated seating. So you yeah. just, like just general, outdoor, exactly. General mission. Yeah. Go outside. So didn't have to, this problem, but to your point, I mean, I remember when I interned, in Seattle and I bought some preseason tickets because I really wanted to go see the Seattle Seahawks, the NFL team in Seattle where they played and what the stadium was. And yeah, I had no idea what tickets to buy. Obviously I was just looking for the cheapest tickets because I, because I was an intern, but it was helpful to like just poke through of like, Hey, where can I get the most value um, and bang for my buck? Because for me is where I like to watch football games is actually more towards the end zones because mm-hmm. I, I used to play like linebacker and I love like watching f- plays form and you can you get a really good view from that from those seats but sometimes it's too high up to get that good of a feel for it you know like yeah. you almost have to be like no more than like 30 rows up this is how bougie i am with my nfl tickets but <laughs> but if i'm in the end zone it's got to be like no more than 30 rows up so i can get that feel that i'm you know at, at the almost at play level if it's too high up you're just looking down and it's this awkward view and then if not if it's like you know in the nosebleeds i'd rather be in the middle like the 40 50 yard line um, yeah, it's definitely sport dependent too. I, totally. I recently I went to an MLS game for Austin FC and my friends have season tickets and they're really awesome seats. They're towards the top, but they're like 50 yard line, essentially. There's no 50 yard line, but in the middle of the stadium <laughs> uh, for, for the soccer game. And you can kind of see the whole field and see plays develop, which is very different for football where like everything's condensed into like around the line of scrimmage. Uh, so it's harder to see everything and figure out what's going on all the time. In terms of concerts, we went to a Childish Gambino concert in, I think it's SAP Center, which is where the San Jose Sharks play. And we got this like upper deck corner seat of like basically one side of the stage, but pretty high up. But but it ended up being awesome because you could see everything. And that show luckily wasn't just a stage show. They kind of like, you know, spanned it out. Like there was like a walkway, he came out and did some stuff. He actually went into the crowd too and like walked around and performed some of the songs like that. So it ended up being awesome. But yeah, I had to actually figure out where that seat was and was I going to be too far to one side to be able to see anything stage-wise and I wanted to be more centered. So that was a big deal for me. And I, I, I've i never sold tickets third party on like any platform, have you? I think that that seems to me like the, the one thing that I haven't done. Yeah, so I I, I flipped like a, a handful of tickets. Not like not that I'm like a scalper, like you know, going like onto like the, <laughs> like the, the tickets and, and selling right away, but... If I knew like something was going to be super popular um, in college, I would definitely 
buy t- buy like extra tickets and basically use like the two flip ones that I um, purchased to, to flip. But I, I would use StubHub. Um, like I've never used like SeatGeek specifically to to sell tickets. I've definitely bought tickets off of SeatGeek, yeah. um, but never never as a buyer. I think what I hated from StubHub was just like all of the fees and complications, and it just yeah. It was very sad at how much money I was going to get back and how much money I actually needed to list a ticket for, for it to be a profitable endeavor for me. Yeah, we can talk about it more later, but I've sold Coachella tickets once. We didn't want to go because the headliners changed. I think that was the year that Beyonce got pregnant and uh, like they switched to somebody else. We were kind of waiting to figure out who it was going to be, but we ended up selling those tickets and I sold them on Craigslist, mostly because like your bid ask price is going to be pretty close. Basically, Mm -hmm. it's like, you can kind of price it pretty close to what you want to get back for those tickets. And the negotiation isn't going to be that big of a deal because there's no like third party taking fees off or taking some off the top. So it's not like you have to price it so heavily high that people don't want to buy it or whatever. The trade off there is obviously Craigslist <laughs> is harder to find people and it's less safe. Whereas like there's guarantees on places like SeatGeek and uh, you get more eyeballs on your tickets so people can come and find it and, and potentially bid or buy on it. Totally. The most success I've had from selling tickets is actually just with like direct to people that I know, like mm-hmm. yeah, even with like sure. Buffalo Bills tickets, there's like Buffalo Bills fans of Rochester, or Buffalo Bills fans of Seattle or Boston, like all the places yeah. that I've lived where like people will post tickets. Um, and actually like the company I work for, we have a really robust employee for sale email alias that we actually just oh, email cool. things yeah. that are available. So I've definitely sold like a handful of tickets in Seattle to some of my coworkers. And that's super nice because the bid ask is pretty much exactly what you want. And yeah. there's like just a, a certain value of trust because you, this is a coworker that, yeah. you know, is going to pay you. And also you're not going to rip them off because like yeah, yeah. You're, you're using the company like network for this. So it's right. just like this inherent trust that's built in, which is yeah. super key for stuff like this. Because to your point, Jeff, like I definitely have sold things off Craigslist um, tickets as well. And it's always sketchy. Like you don't know who you're going to yeah. get. The thing with selling to people you know is that you probably most of the time like sell at cost. Like I'm not trying to make a profit or anything. Or oh, my family hates me, man. I'm all, I'm all profit. <laughs> like mom, you dad, you got the money for it, 100. Yeah. percent You're like I've been holding on to this. I'm I'm charging interest here. Exactly. Um, this was an investment, mom. You know. It's... Yeah. Exactly. Let's chat about how SeatGeek came to be. So it was founded. Around 2009 by Russell D'Souza and Jack Grotzinger at Dream IT Ventures, which is a terrible name, by the way, um, <laughs> which was an accelerator program out of Philadelphia. So they had kind of like come up with this idea and pitched it. And Dream IT was, as typical for accelerator programs, the first to provide seed funding. And I think it was like something small, like $20,000 in seed funding. A few years later, fast forward, in 2011, they got investments from our favorite investor, Ashton Kutcher. No way. Um, this dude is everywhere. He's everywhere. Yeah, it, it, it's really impressive, actually. And Guy Osiri. Yeah, Ashton Kutcher just has a nose for investments. I, mean, I, I wonder what, how much he's worth because uh, I'm sure he's <laughs> had some pretty successful exits. Yeah, and he's in those commercials with Mila Kunis, like eating, <laughs> eating Cheetos. Yeah, what a great life. In 2013, <laughs> they acquired Fansnap, which was a competing ticket search engines. And they basically absorbed Fansnap's technology into their own search engines. In 2016, they partnered with MLS to start serving third-party websites and letting them sell tickets on uh, SeatGeek. In 2018, they became a distribution partner of the NFL. Also in 2018, they integrated with Snapchat, which is really weird. I didn't know you can buy tickets with Snapchat. I remember when you can send money on Snapchat, and that was kind of a strange thing. Yeah. Um, Snapchat is something actually we should do an episode on because they kind of died and came back to life of recent 
still uh, hanging out. It's like Lazarus. Yeah. Exactly. But, but dead. <laughs> <laughs> still dead to us. Exactly. Uh, Around 2018, they had also partnered with Lyft to drop off event goers closer to their actual seat. And I think this is really interesting. So when I first started looking into SeatGeek, I thought, oh, you know, they're just kind of like a ticket selling site. But the more I think about it, I think of them as kind of like event experience site. So everything from getting tickets to getting to the event and leaving the event uh, and making sure you have a good time at the event, all those things seem like they're part of the experience of going to these events. And I think SeatGeek is looking at holistically the whole end-to-end experience and not just the ticket purchasing and selling um, part of it. So I thought that was really interesting to kind of call out. Totally. No, I definitely agree with you. Even like what we were talking about earlier from like the first thing you see is the deal score. You know, it's like, hey, it's like this is like the best deal for you as a customer. Right. And then they'll give you a sneak peek of the the actual picture of like your seat of what this will look like. So, yeah, that's really interesting to think of it holistically because it does feel more supported as opposed to like, you know, a ticket master where it's just like, Hey, here's your hundred dollar ticket with seventy five dollars in fees. <laughs> like, we're not yeah. going to tell you what pays or what Good you luck. paid for. <laughs> Please print it out. <laughs> exactly. Twenty twenty one. There yeah. is no app. <laughs> yeah. Go. In twenty nineteen, they partnered with Jujimson. I, I might be pronouncing that wrong. Jujimson Theaters, um, which is home to Hadestown, Moulin Rouge, and Book of Mormon, some pretty famous uh, Broadway acts, and basically announced a partnership with them to handle all of their ticketing needs. So as we mentioned before, SeatGeek isn't only for sports, but they do, in this case, you know, theater events, music events, concert events, things like that. Yeah. And just a a quick shout out to the Book of Mormon. That's an awesome Broadway show. I don't know if you've seen it, Jeff, but it's... I haven't. Yeah. You got to... You got to go. Just <laughs> go whenever it comes through the Bay Area. Just go find time to go see it because yeah, it's, it's sure. hilarious. I was in stitches when I saw it. So cool. <laughs> nice. We can talk about who Seeky is for. And, um, you know, I had like the target customer segment as quote unquote event goers who like transparency um, and kind of it's all the things that we were talking about, you know, from the deal score. You just SeatGeek's trying to do the best they can to speak be transparent and tell you everything about this is like, Hey, it's like, this is a bad deal. Don't buy this. This buyer is just trying to make a ton of money off of this. Or maybe it's just like the the market is like, Hey, it's like, turns out this is really popular, blah, 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 blah. You're going to pay a little bit more for it. I also think it's really interesting how, to your point of how SeatGeek has looked at the whole customer experience. And that's on the seller side of like, Hey, or the buyer side of, Hey, if I'm buying this ticket, you know, what's my whole event experience going to be like, I think they've also done a good job thinking about the sellers. I know SeatGeek was one of the first companies that actually offered direct payment to customers directly to your Venmo account. So if you sold your ticket on mm. SeatGeek, instead of you know paying cash and having this weird limbo of like, hey, do I need to give you all of my bank account information, which I might not be comfortable with, I can just give you my Venmo account. So really interesting you know, product-focused features like that. I definitely like that SeatGeek has done. And then I know we talked about just a huge element in any marketplace is trust. You know, it's like, do you trust the person? Are they giving you real tickets? Are they reputable? Can you even get the ticket? And there's two things that SeatGeek does here is um, they give 120% of a refund if your ticket is fraudulent, um, which I think is a really nice. um, Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really nice nod to the buyer to just make sure that they feel comfortable buying it. And the second thing that they make easy is 
They actually don't charge a fee for you to transfer tickets. I know that previously on other platforms, you do have to pay like a small fee to transfer tickets. But I think SeatGeek realizes that, you know, hey, this is just like back in the day. Like if you go outside like any major sporting event, there's going to be scalpers saying I need tickets, which is the funniest thing ever to <laughs> to watch. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's just like it's, it's a free transaction. You know, you give them cash and they give you the ticket. There's no like... Yeah. 46 cent fee to process the transaction like that right that's unnecessary and so building on to this transparency and customer focused approach that SeatGeek has taken early on they had focused on mobile i think that they just realized that mobile was going to be super important so as jeff mentioned SeatGeek was just getting started in 2009 and um, in three years later in 2012 three quarters or 75 percent of SeatGeek purchases were actually happening on mobile phones compared to just 36% on StubHub and 21% for Ticketmaster. So I think that has paid dividends for SeatGeek, just knowing that that ratio likely for StubHub and Ticketmaster is probably reversed for them. And like mm-hmm. now, you know, pretty much all, I think it's like 75% of all e-commerce purchases are from mobile devices. And SeatGeek was definitely ahead of that trend by focusing yeah. on mobile right from the get-go. And then another like anecdote, just talking about like the target customer and who, who's, who Geek is for and how is SeatGeek trying to reach this audience. Uh, it looks that a core part of SeatGeek's strategy in the upcoming years is, um, or at least in the past like year or two, has focused on influencer marketing. So to help increase their marketing, or sorry, help, to, help re- to help increase their awareness uh, to their target customers. So an example of that is in 2018, they actually had a... Um, a YouTuber influencer, Jesse Wallens, surprises dad with Super Bowl tickets. And I think it had about 950,000 oh, uh, wow. views. So it was interesting to see that they were also focused on influencer marketing um, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, which just feels a little bit early as compared to you know what a lot of companies are starting to do now. Or at least it feels like it's now mainstream <laughs> to see like a big company partner with an influencer that might have like XYZ followers. Yeah, I want to touch on the fact that they give 120% refunds if the ticket is fraudulent, which is awesome. Like it's above and beyond what most ticket providers do. And it's basically like, hey, we're really sorry about this. And we're going to give you like some cash to spend on a future ticket um, or hopefully to spend on it to come back. You can argue that that is at cost to SeatGeek. But what they're doing there is they're they're basically paying for you and paying for your loyalty, right, for the long term. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about the way that Amazon does it is like they have a pretty lax return policy and they have things like Prime and people like using Amazon because they trust it. Same thing with Costco, right? Like they trust the fact that, hey, if I buy this thing, I'm I'm covered. Like I'm going to be able to take it back whenever I need if it's a bad product. Uh, and I don't have to worry about this like weird 30 day policy of like totally. not being able to return things or like or having to pay for it. It used to be you have to pay for return shipping and stuff like that. So I think that's a really good thing about companies shifting towards indexing on customer experience so that you get like lifetime loyalty and 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 things like that especially with like gen z and millennials that typically don't really care about brand loyalty they care about like the best experience that they'll get for sure like getting 10 pounds of pistachios for six (laughs) dollars yeah exactly let's chat about competitors we've talked about some of the older ones here so i think Ticketmaster and stubhub are probably the older ones that we've mentioned before there are some newer players in the block or at least ones that i've never heard of there's Game Time, Score Big, Ticket Bud, and Vivid Seats. I think I've heard of Game Time and Vivid Seats. Game Time specifically is an interesting business model. We'll talk about that probably in some other show. But 
their I think their biggest offering is that they'll sell you last minute tickets. And I've seen like a lot of Instagram ads about going to the game for like $20 or whatever, $46 for, you know, courtside seats, which I don't think is really going to happen. I think the sentiment is that they are kind of a kind of like a, the new kid on the block. And I want to talk about Craigslist a bit more. Obviously, I've bought and sold stuff on Craigslist, but th- the problem is you don't really have those guarantees and you also don't get the <laughs> same level of visibility, right? So like some people don't want to go to Craigslist to buy tickets because it is just purely trust-based versus you get some level of guarantees on SeatGeek, Ticketmaster, StubHub, et cetera. Totally. I-, I think something that's like missing from like this whole like event experience, and I know there's a couple of companies out there that do it, is just like giving me really pertinent concerts that are in my area or like in like drivable distance for Mm -hmm. like bands that I really love. Like I think the way that I currently um, look for shows is broken. Like I'll just, and maybe I'm just totally missing something, but I'll I'll go to like my favorite artist and just, you know, go to their website and say, Hey, like when's like the next tour or I'll I'll just discover someone and then see if they're going on tour. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's like an option, like opportunity for someone like Spotify to come in and just say, Hey, like, looks like you like XYZ artists. Like they're, yeah, you're coming to your area. Here's like a discount or here's like a, like, you know, whatever Spotify half of a month for free. I don't know, whatever it is, but I just like want to, especially now that like we're hopefully knock on wood, (laughs) leaving the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. I guess now it's just endemic, but whatever, all that aside, TLDR will be able to go to concerts again. (laughs) Yeah, Um, exactly. I would love to just like start going to more and just having that flag to me. So I think that's another opportunity for for folks. So if anyone's listening, give us a free concert ticket if you take up that uh, idea. <laughs> so let's talk about our thoughts. So I can kick things off. So I think that in terms of product market fit, I think it's, it's really strong with SeatGeek. It's also like almost feels like the space that they're operating in is a bit of a commodity space, you know, where it's, it's just a ticket, you know, and like mm-hmm. you want to sell it or you want to buy it. And how can you make that experience as delightful as possible? And Jeff and I touched on this at different parts in this episode where we talk about their customer experience. They just nail it. And I think that really shapes that they're really good and really strong product market fit. Pricing, I'm a huge fan of, of what they're what they're doing for pricing because as a seller, it's or sorry, as a buyer, it's super transparent. Like if I go to like this this game that I was looking at, the Buffalo Bills versus Miami Dolphins, it's $88 is like my final cart price. It's not like there's no additional fees or taxes. It's just like the final price, which I like as a customer. I don't like to like, it's just easier for me to compare apples to apples across everything as opposed to like other sites where it's like, here's a $4.99 processing fee. And then if you print it at home, it's an extra $6. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> just how much does it cost? Um, so I'm going to rate SeatGeek overall a 4.2 out of 5 for me. I think some of the features that it's missing or something that I would love to see, as I mentioned, is just that integration with like concerts in my area and just making mm-hmm. it friendlier for me to find these events um, and pull for me uh, and, and pull those forward to me. Yeah, I will um, rate it similarly. I'm going to give it a 4.0. For me, at the end of the day, I'm probably going to look across SeatGeek, Ticketmaster, StubHub, and just find the cheapest price right now. And I've mentioned this before where it's hard to compare a product or rate a product super high if there are alternatives. And at the end of the day, for something like tickets, you're typically indexing on something like price. With that being said, I do really like the fact that they have like this 120% refund on fraudulent tickets and it's a protection that they they offer. And they're mobile first and, and they're partnering with all these different types of events like sporting events and concerts and 
I like theater events. They're going to be offering more and more things. And then lastly, I like the fact that they're thinking about this from an end-to-end experience approach. So like I mentioned before, they're partnering with Lyft to get people right to the door or get to the closest door of that stadium that's closest to their seat, which is it feels like a very... I don't know, like custom experience, uh, which is... I love that, for Yeah, sure. which is really cool. So yeah, I think all those things that kind of bundle together raise a score a little bit for me. I think if I were to rate something similar like Ticketmaster, probably in the maybe mid to high threes, and I'm giving some some kudos points here for all the extra things that SeatGeek is doing. So 4.0. Love it. Well, those are our thoughts on SeatGeek, and we'd love to hear from you, our audience. So feel free to share with us what you think with us So feel free to share with us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, You can find us at Podcast. That's P-R-O-D-E-X podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know what products we should review next. See you next episode.